Hi, my name is Aviva, an amicable overeater. I have seven years of abstinence and have maintained over 100-pound weight loss for over six years. Um, so I wanted to say that this morning I read out of Voices of Recovery at a meeting, and I couldn't find mine to read it to you, but it was talking about willingness. And the willingness it was about a woman who, or a man who was stating that they were willing to get thin And they thought God, you know, they were saying, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing. But at the end of the day, they realized they weren't willing to give up the food. They just wanted to be thin. And the reason I mention this is because um, a big part of my story is I thought, if only I was thin, everything would be okay. So um, when I was a little kid, I was a heavyset kid. I was raised in a middle-class home in California. Uh, Food, it was always in our lives. And I believe that compulsive overeating, I started, you know, I I just always turned to food. Uh, my mom and I, she would work all day and then we would go to places in Los Angeles and after she, that was our treat because she worked hard all day. But I never put the two together. I would be bored in the afternoon and watch TV and then people would be eating and then I would just go get food. Again, I never put the two together that it was wrong to do so. My sister, who's five years older than me, was always obsessed with weight. She ended up being bulimic, um, anorexic. I haven't spoken to her in several years, so I don't know what finally happened with her. But when we were kids, uh, my dad too, We, I found a paper. And when I was 10, my mom would weigh us and put it down on paper on how much we weighed. My father would um, continually um, fast that was a big thing in our family. And my sister would try to fast too. I tried to fast once and almost passed out while riding my bike. So that didn't work. And also I didn't want to stop eating because I couldn't stand being hungry. So that happened when I was um, 10. I I was always heavy set. That's not a true statement. I wasn't heavy set until I was supposed to be because when you're 10 to 12, which I found out later in life, it's okay to be a little heavy set. Your body is changing. But in my family, it wasn't okay. Um, I started getting picked on at school. I stopped bathing. I stopped caring about anything that had to do with me. And it had a lot to do with being bullied. And the food, it's so cunning, baffling, and powerful because the disease can, can get me without me even being aware of it. So I would, I, I believe that I was always a grazer. Um, I remember being at a sleepover and the girl had a tin of a certain food and I just kept looking at it until she opened it and it had crayons. And boy, was I disappointed because I was like, what's in there? What's going on in there? Are you going to open it? <laughs> and it had crayons. And boy, was I disappointed at that sleepover. Um, I had another friend and, and her mom would complain, you know, Aviva's always in our fridge. And I just never put the two together. I had always been, I lived, I had two emotions as a child, rage and fear. My father raged and I lived in fear. Um, I had physical abuse as a child, emotional abuse as a child, and none of that makes me a compulsive overeater. What makes me a compulsive overeater is that when certain foods enter my body, I have an allergic reaction which stops me from having a spiritual experience. And that's what makes me a compulsive overeater. The triangle that they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous is very real to me because I've experienced it by working the 12 steps of having that recovery from it. I still can't say I'm recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body because 
I still feel sometimes hopeless in a state of mind and body. But I can say that I am a compulsive reader in recovery today. So in my teen years, I just kept eating. I always wanted to weigh 130. That was that magic number that that doctor told my mom. And if you grew up in the 70s, you know that doctor that tells your mom that number. And I just wanted people to stop picking on me. And it just did not happen. So the self-esteem got worse and the food got more. And again, it was just normal to eat that much. It was just in my family. And I just went through life. And then it was the fantasies. And then it was the if I could have him. And then it was always never being in reality. And the emotions I could not stand handling, especially being hungry. And that's basically how I went. Now, when I was 20, no, when I was 16, a woman approached me in high school and she said, I know of a place you could go if you're worried about your weight. And I said, sure. And she mentioned Overeaters Anonymous. And I started going to meetings with her. And again, I um, I walked in and I was scary looking. It was, you know, punk rock central. I was dark and people were not friendly, kind and loving. So, you know, I'm very grateful to Zoom for newcomers because people don't, you know, they can't do that prejudgment thing. And I've heard tons of stories of people being welcoming and kind. That's not my story. And I did inventory to find out my part of not being welcoming and kind when I walked in. I was a kid and I was scared and I was in a teen group and I would go to meetings and show up and try to be a part of just to fit in. And it just, I just didn't. I don't think, I worked the steps with her. She was 16 too. And like I always tell everybody, I burned my fourth step, which do not do because I couldn't do six or seven. So after I read her um, in her living room with her family around my fourth step, which when you're 16 is basically I hate everybody, um, it didn't click. You know, do, you know, for me, it was still the Santa Claus God being powerless over food. It just I don't know if it was my age, but it just didn't click. And then if God loved me, I would get this. If God was good, things bad things wouldn't happen. Now, I still struggle with bad things wouldn't happen, but I but I realize now that there's a difference between being a victim and and allowing God to do his process or her process. And that's recovery for me. So um, when I was... I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous because I had a sub-issue of alcohol and I left OA completely. And I left OA um, when I was 20 and I just went right back into the food and I didn't drink again. So I do have almost 36 years of not drinking. I'm a periodic, but I have only six years of recovery from compulsive overeating and I do identify that way when I take a cake, a candle, and AA because the spiritual experience and the way that I am today is is a blessing and a gift from Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous. I would not be the person now that I was back then. So then when I was 24, um, I did have another sponsor. I was doing the steps, but I don't think it clicked because I met him. And as soon as I met him, which I call the real God joke, um, I left and I was in an abusive relationship, and I stayed with him, and again, cunning, baffling, and powerful, and I kept thinking everything was okay because I was in denial, and the second part of it was um, I just, you know, I stopped going to meetings. I stopped working with people in the sense of, you know, having a fellowship or any of that. All of that left um, as soon as I met him, 
and I met him in a 12-step group and he was abusive and homeless and I had to have him and that's part of my story. Um, what finally happened that changed everything was I started going to Al-Anon. I went to Al-Anon for a little bit and that got me out of my abusive relationship. These are other programs. It's an outside issue, so I won't talk about that. But I will talk about how the food had always been prevalent in my daily life. My top weight is 252, and I stopped weighing myself this year because that number of 130 and that illusion that I will be okay, I went to 137, and I was flipping out, and until I can give God my weight, I'm not going to weigh myself because my clothes still fit. I wear the same clothes I've worn for seven years, six years, apologies. So I leave Alan on, I leave him, and I'm still eating. And then when I'm when my son's about 15 years old, I get bariatric surgery, and I think everything is going to be okay. So I start losing the weight, losing the weight, and it occurs to me at one point I'm going to gain this weight back. And I had moments of clarity in between that 16 years of being out, and the voice would say, you know, you, you messed up your son's life. You might as well just stay out. And that's what I mean. So um, I stayed out. And then when he hit 16, I went back to meetings. And I got a sponsor. And this sponsor really worked the steps in a way that I had never been open, willing to do. And I had spiritual awakening after spiritual awakening after spiritual awakening. And um, I worked really diligently on it, I text my food. Um, I've been texting my food to the same person for over a year and a half. Um, eventually, that sponsor moved out of state, and I haven't been able to find another one. But right now, I'm working with a woman in another program. Um, I do inventory. Um, the big thing that I think that's really amazing is three meals a day, one snack. I know what my red light foods are, and I don't tell people how to eat because I've had sponsors in OA, and they have said to me, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. And I'm like, well, I can, but I can't eat this, and I can't eat that. And I know what my red light foods are because I have a change in perception when I eat those red light foods. And when I did hit bottom and came back, I did was granted the gift of desperation, which means I would do anything for my abstinence today. And I see it all the time. God, I need to be abstinent today. And all of a sudden, something I can't find in the store will appear. If I'm running towards my abstinence, my abstinence will appear. If I'm running towards the food, the food will appear. And it's that willingness to feel hungry. It's that willingness to feel uncomfortable. It's that willingness to let go of old ideas. What I learned through working the steps, um, what I learned about four is um, I don't like to feel, like when I've said several times in this, and it brings up memories, and then I have to be accountable. And I always thought the fourth step was going to be about shame. So I was picked on. I was bullied. How am I supposed to take responsibility for this now? I'm the wrong one. I'm the bad person. That self-righteous anger, which I am fighting right in now with a new boss, because when I was little, you're not telling me what to do. My mom stated, you have self-will run right. I was three. So she knew who I was before I knew who I was. And right now I have a boss and, um, oh my God, and I'm like, how can I just get through the day and let her be in charge? And that is against every moral being of a compulsive overeater. I'm in charge. 
why why are you not listening to me? So when I did my fourth step, it wasn't about shame. It wasn't about all the things the bullies had said in school. It was what did I do here to be free of it? And when I read my fifth step to him, he was kind. We did it in parts because, remember, I hate everybody. So we had to do it in parts because there were several people on that resentment list. And it was over and over again. And learning about how um, my behavior had caused my misery. When I did six and seven, it was freeing to understand my character defects. And I feel my character defects when they come up now. And I'm, I'm saying that seven-step prayer so many times. And that character defects, some of them are getting removed. And there is a part in the big book that talks about this I will never give up. I think that's in the 12 and 12. I apologize. And it says, some things we are willing to give up. Some things we are hesitant to give up. And But we should never say, this I will never give up. Well, the character defect of you're going to tell me what to do. Ugh, I didn't think I had that character defect until this, this lovely boss has come into my life. And I see it. And I, I and it's like, we breathe it through. We say the seven-step prayer. We're willing. Because I want that freedom today. I want peace today. What I found for eight and nine is, again, I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't want to confront people because I don't want to be told something that I don't want to hear. And it might be, thank you very much, or it might be, you need to stay away from me, good luck, or it just might be nothing. But it's that fear, that expectation, that worry, and then it comes down to, again, I can't change who I am to have these things to get through it. 10, 11, and 12. Not great with 10, 11, and 12. I'm doing more 10 steps now because of my resentment against this new boss and these other two women in my office. And there is a story in the big book about, you know, you say resentment for two weeks and then it'll be removed. So I said a resentment prayer for my mom for two years. Then I went out and then it was removed when I was willing to forgive her after I finished my four step this time. And I have forgiven my parents. Um, for everything. And sometimes I drove by their grave today and I, I told them I love you and I miss you. And that wasn't happening when I was in the food. And so 11, how do I pray and meditate? You take a moment. I pause. I try to stay in the moment. I trust that this is what's supposed to be happening right now. And it's not to me. It's what's just happening right now. And when I don't like what's happening, um, a friend of mine says when it's when it's happening and you understand it, it's God's will. When it's happening and you're angry, it's my will. And I have seen that over and over again, only in my life. Um, Twelve, um, I've just recently realized that people drop people, I mean, all the time. And if you, if I read the 12-step correctly, having had a spiritual awakening as a re- result of these steps, we carry the message to other compulsive overeaters who still suffer. I think I got that wrong. I'm sorry. I'm terrible at memorizing things at times, and I hear it every day, which is why I go to a lot of meetings. I go to a meeting almost every day because I will forget the 12 steps, even though I've been hearing them off and on for 35 years. I just forgot 12. But I don't drop people because we don't shoot our wounded. That person is sick. They're not doing it my way. They're not getting sober. They're not eating right. They're not. No. I've had a spiritual awakening, and I have the privilege and the, and the kindness now, Bill Wilson did talk about the founder of Overeaters Anonymous. He did talk about, like, not focusing Five. all your attention. Five Go ahead. Minutes. I heard you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Um, he stated about not focusing all your attention on one person, but he was stating, like, in my 
perception of his writing is if we focus on somebody who just does not want to get abstinent and sober and we ignore all the others, we're missing an opportunity to help others. So that person can stay in the background. We don't drop them, but we don't have to call them, you know, six times a day or give them money. I mean, this was 1935 when he was talking about giving them money and helping them, you know, letting them live in their house and all that stuff. A lot of alcoholics lived in Bill Wilson's house in 1930 when he got sober. He helped a lot. Lois was really kind that way. Um, I just want to say that one, two, and three, I'm powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. When I think I can control people, places, things, and my food, my life is unmanageable. Came to believe that power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. I'm an insane lot, a lot. And so when I can say to myself, okay, I'm in step two, help. That's the quickest response because I know when I'm insane, I can feel it. And sometimes I can't. Sometimes the disease is so powerful that I don't even realize, you know, I'm arguing with somebody who's not there. Hello, step two, where are you? Because that's when I'm not in step two, when I'm arguing with somebody who's not there, when I'm, again, having this discussion with my boss. I'm not present. And I need to be present sometimes. I've had um, tree branches fall in front of me when I'm walking my dog, and I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's get back into I'm walking the dog. Let's not go into this meeting I'm having in two weeks because a tree branch just fell in front of me. That's a sign, like, hello, step two, step three. Made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. I do, every day. I say the third step prayer as soon as I wake up. I don't even get out of bed, I say it. And I say it over and over again. And 10 minutes after I say it, I'm not there. But I have to remind myself, this is God's day, not mine. And how can I be of service to God today? I started being more of service because when I'm of service to other people, I get out of the fear and I realize you know, where is it going to be? Um, I always talk a lot about work. And the thing is, is that I thank God I put this boss in my life. The first time I had a boss like this, I've had bosses like this before. The first time I, I, I left that job kicking, screaming, bloody, you're not going to drag me out. This is the only job. I'm going to die without it. And that's when I first got abstinent. And I hadn't finished my four-step And now it's like, okay, God, you put this woman in my life. What am I supposed to learn? And am I supposed to leave here? Where am I supposed to go? How can I be of service? I beg and plead to have acceptance of it. And when I don't have acceptance of something in front of me, I I ask my higher power and other members, okay, how do I deal with it? Because the way I deal with it is to hide, run, go into denial, and eat a lot, and then hate you. And that's how I was, that's how I always dealt with things. I hate you. I don't deal with it. One thing that I learned in my inventory was it wasn't what happened that causes me to get fired. It's my reaction to what happened that caused me to get fired. So um, I don't have perfect abstinence. I'm telling you that right now. I weigh and measure my food because a portion does not exist in my world. And I always had to have that little bit more when I lost the weight. And I just can't. My attitude is, is that when I get there, it's the disease talking. And I just don't want to hear it all the time. And so I sometimes I have to look at my phone, like, what did I text her this morning? Because I forget. Um, my abstinence isn't perfect. My program isn't perfect. I don't have a sponsor I talk to every day. But I'm more than willing to show up every day. I go to a meeting. Um, I'm taking one commitment. I'm always willing to speak. And I'm willing to be of service to other people. And um, this program is very simple, but it's hard. Because, I mean, things that I'm willing to let go of today, I wasn't willing to let go of when I first got abstinent. 
And if you're struggling today, it's just one day. I don't have six years. I have a day. And some days I don't want to be abstinent even today, but I always think about what it was like when I was out there. And it just doesn't fix it. It doesn't change it. This boss isn't going to go away if I eat a lot. I just have a different perception of her, which is going to make my life harder because I can't let God in. I can't let my higher power tell me what I'm supposed to do or set aside prayer. I set aside everything I think I know about her or pray for her, pray for the institution. I pray for this institution now that it's happy, joyous, and free, and this woman, and other people. And I don't mean it. But I need that peace and serenity so I can be loving and kind to others. So instead of thinking about me and getting into self-pity, I can think of the person who's standing in front of me that needs something. Because my job is very um, client-oriented, customer-oriented. And I'll end with this. I recently was sitting with one of my kids' clients. I apologize. And I was in so much self-pity, and I didn't even see it. And I went outside, and the sun was shining, and I looked up, and I said, higher power, please remove my self-pity so I can be of service. And it was gone. And if I wasn't abstinent, I didn't even know. Self-pity is always in my best room, and I didn't even know. So I hope everyone comes back, and um, thank you for letting me share. My phone number is 310-487-5157, 5157 Pacific Standard Time, and my name is Aviva, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you for letting me share.